Welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. Russell Kirk said, Men read and write only because they are convinced that certain great subjects are worth reading and writing about. Four great themes, it seems to me, have been the inspiration of most important imaginative literature from the dawn of Greek civilization down to our own age. The first of these is religion, the description of the relation between divine nature and human nature, as in Hesiod and Dante and Milton. The second is heroism, the nobility of strong and earnest men, as in Homer or Virgil or Mallory. The third is love, the devotion beyond mere appetite, as in classical legend or medieval romance. The fourth is the intricacy of character and class, ranging all the way from Chaucer to Conrad. Now a society which has lost its religious convictions denies itself the first theme. A society which denies the right to greatness and to distinctions among men deprives itself of the second theme. A society which takes love for no more than the carnal appetite cannot attach real significance even to the novel of adultery. A society which looks upon men as mere production and consumption units of interchangeable value cannot understand the subtle shadings of personality and rank of a different sort of age. The springs of the imagination thus are dried up. For a time, satire can exist by pointing out the decay of faith and heroism and love and variety, but when even the memory of these themes fade, then satire too comes to an end. Then boredom triumphs in life and art. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What is boredom? How should we regard boredom? How does boredom relate to vocation? Joining us today on the Wittenberg Hour is Miss Grace Reps. Grace, thank you for being here today. It's great to be back. Thank you for having me back on. Okay, Grace, this is quite the topic we're tackling today. Boredom is not something considered very often, but it is spoken of very often. On the Wittenberg Hour, we explore big questions and encourage our listeners to do the same. So let's explore. I want to be clear before we begin that we are neither diagnosing nor prescribing anything as it relates to boredom. We're simply considering boredom, what it is, how we should regard boredom, and perhaps how to deal with boredom. So is boredom an invention of children to frustrate their parents? Or is there something more going on? Is boredom only experienced in childhood? If we don't know what boredom is, can we figure out what it is not? Let's start with a look at the definition of boredom. Now, whenever I want to find a definition, I always start with Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It's actually kind of a joke in Philosophy Club, Wittenberg <laughs> Academy's Philosophy Club, that anytime <laughs> we talk about something, we always have to define our terms. And I grab my giant Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Whenever I'm pondering what a word means, I, I start with Webster's 1828 
28 dictionary. So that's where I went. However, now it, this is getting really dramatic here. <laughs> when I went to Webster's 1828 dictionary, there was nothing to see. Boredom wasn't there. So I thought, well, that must be the end of it. <laughs> Boredom doesn't actually exist. <laughs> but I know that's not true. So Grace, I know you did a little bit of research as well in, in preparation for this. So tell me, what did you find? Well, I looked up this word boredom on the online etymology dictionary, and this is what it comes up with for a definition. In 1845, boredom was defined as, quote, the state of being bored. It also has been employed in a sense, bores as a class and practice of being a bore. So I looked more specifically into the definition of the word bore in this etymology dictionary and found this definition from 1778. A thing which causes ennui or annoyance by dullness. So what does ennui mean? Because I know you had looked into that. Yeah, ennui is kind of an interesting word. It's French. And so ennui is a noun. And it means weariness, heaviness, lassitude of fastidiousness. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot of S's in there. <laughs> lassitude means weakness or dullness, um, you know, heaviness or weariness. Um, and fastidiousness is disdainfulness, contemptuousness, squeamishness of mind, taste, or appetite. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting word. Part of me wonders if something was lost in translation from the French to the English. You know how some words, they, there's not really an English word to, that, that serves as a good translate. Like it's only a word in German or right. Latin or mm -hmm. French or whatever the case may be. And so Part of me wonders if that's that's the case. I have to be honest, I didn't research ennui real in depth, so our listeners might be more ennui experts <laughs> than me. But but I think it's interesting to think about that this early definition uh, from 1778 because you're you're kind of making my 1828 dictionary look bad. <laughs> <laughs> that you could find a definition before 1828. But I'm, I'm wondering if maybe it wasn't a commonly used word, which is why Webster didn't include it in his, in his dictionary. But I think that that annoyance by dullness is, is an interesting thing, but that, that might get us far afield. So going back to the the definitions, the etymology that you found, what can we make of that? Well, I think that since we have both both halves of the word, we know that bore can be defined as we'll just say the that which causes annoyance by dullness. And we know that the suffix dumb refers to the state. So I think that we can tentatively define boredom as the state of being annoyed by dullness. I think that using the state of being annoyed by dullness 
is a good working definition to launch into our discussion of boredom. Yeah, I agree. I think there's definitely more there than just in that definition. Especially thinking about that quote that we opened with. It, it to to list all of that and then come to if all of that is lost, then boredom ensues. It it seems like it's just that boredom is is larger than annoyance, perhaps. And so if we're not necessarily satisfied with what boredom is, then maybe we can find more satisfaction in discussing what boredom is not. Because I think that 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 distinction is an important thing to understand. Because before I started pondering boredom, that that's kind of a, a strange thing to say. Before I started pondering boredom. <laughs> Were you bored when you started pondering? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so before I started pondering this, I think that when I thought of boredom, that I thought of busyness, you know, being active. Well, if you're bored, you must be idle, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's there's just this need to to be busy, you know, idle hands are the devil's plaything. And mm-hmm. so if you are, if you are bored, you must be not doing something. But I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's the case. So both of us are a little bit dissatisfied with the definition of what boredom is. I think we both have a hunch that it's bigger than just annoyance with dullness, right? That that doesn't quite capture boredom. And so perhaps instead of trying to figure out what boredom is, we should approach finding out what boredom is by first looking at what it is not. You know, when we think about what it what it is, Before we started pondering boredom at length, what was the first thing that came to mind when someone would say, I'm bored? Well, I think that the first thing that everyone thinks of when they think of boredom is that you're not busy, you're not working. And so maybe what we need to consider is is the opposite of boredom working? Because to me, the opposite of working is not working. Um, That makes sense. (laughs) I know that this is a big leap, but we could potentially say that a synonym to not working is resting. So maybe we should consider if we can reasonably call resting boredom. So, So you're saying that the opposite of work is to not work. That makes sense. And when you're not working, you're resting. And so if boredom is not working, then is resting boredom? And I don't know if either of us could be satisfied with that. So maybe we need to look at you know, 
what is resting? Is resting idleness? Is resting just not being busy? The Is the opposite of resting busyness? Are work and busyness synonyms? So maybe looking at resting is is a good idea before we before we go on. So what what is what is resting? Well, I think that we should just go back to when God rested. Uh, Genesis two verses one through three says, "Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them." And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so you notice that this resting that God made holy on the seventh day of creation was a response to the work being finished. He rested on the seventh day from all his work. To me, this sounds like resting it is a pause for us from our work, a time to reflect on the work that he has done and to reflect on God's promises, which, which is why he gives us the Sabbath day. And in contrast to this, boredom can be seen as almost an excuse to despise the work that you need to do. And I don't think that this just applies to the, you know, like you were saying before with kids using the word boredom to torture their parents. Uh, I don't think it just applies to them, but it also applies to, to us using the excuse of being bored to slack on our vocations that God has given us. You know, just as kids whine to their parents that doing the dishes is boring, we whine to our father in heaven that honoring my father and mother is boring. You know, loving my enemies is boring. And overall, serving my neighbor is boring. Because the old Adam in me loves to reject things that seem annoying because they're dull, just like that definition says. That's a good point. The old Adam, the devil, the world, and our sinful nature war against God's good gifts and what he has given us. You just mentioned some of those relationships that God has given us. And those relationships are good. So in pausing from work, in, in resting, God didn't say that work was a bad thing. You know, he didn't replace work with rest. And so work and rest... aren't necessarily opposites, they're complements. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of an interesting thing to ponder because just like we think of boredom as the opposite of being busy, a lot of times we think of work as being the opposite of rest. But I think it's interesting to ponder that relationship between the two, that they're complements they're not opponents. And I think that's a whole different podcast <laughs> that we might have to do later. But I think it helps us establish the foundation so that we can continue pondering boredom. That 
in resting, we get to reflect on the work and, and work is good, right? The work that God did, he said was good. And the Sabbath or the, the day of rest was because the work was complete. So we don't abandon work. We don't condemn work for the sake of rest, but we rest because work is good. And work is loving and serving our neighbor. So we rest because of the good of work, not because work is bad and we need to get away from it. Right. So it seems that boredom would be not in this realm. That that boredom is not in the realm of work and rest, which I think we can look at as compliments and not opposites. And so if work and rest are good and boredom is, is not good, then we almost have to look at boredom as the opposite of work. I mean, if we're looking at things as goods that God has given us, you know, goods meaning multiple good things, work and rest are both gifts that God has given us. And and boredom is neither the good work that God has given us, nor is it the good rest that God has given us. It's something else. God works through means. And the work of our vocations, that work being good and being a gift, that work is not always and most often isn't exciting and flashy and what we would rightly or wrongly determine as fun, God works through means. He works through simple things. I mean, you think about when he comes to us in the divine service, he comes to us through his word. He comes to us through water in baptism. He comes to us in bread and wine in his Holy Communion, God's word is preached through pastors. Children are served through fathers and mothers. He uses the ordinary. He uses the simple. You think about the way Jesus came into this world. He didn't come as a king on a throne. He came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. God does ordinary. God does simple. But in that simplicity, there's awe and wonder and beauty and goodness that we can easily distract ourselves. And the old Adam loves distracting us from the joy and awe of that simplicity. 
of the ordinary ways in which God works in our lives. And certainly he works in extraordinary ways as well, but most often he works through ordinary means. And those ordinary means are us living out our vocations. And God loves us so much that he puts protection around those vocations through the Ten Commandments, the work that he has given us to do, the, the, that work being love and service of our neighbor, the work is good. And we have to remember that the work was given before the fall. So it wasn't a, work wasn't a punishment. When you think about boredom, a lot of times if a kid goes whining to his mom saying, you know, I'm bored, what is the thing that mom says? Well, my mom always used to hand me a toothbrush and say, go scrub the floor. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So the work, and even in that case, the work isn't a bad thing. Work is a good thing. And to a certain extent, the discipline and correction that you would receive <laughs> is was was almost, I mean, we could look at it as your mom was forcing you back into your vocation that you were trying to reject. I'm making you sound really bad, Grace. <laughs> you vocation rejecter. <laughs> hey, I learned very quickly not to say I was born. There so. you go. There you go. So I, I'm almost starting to think that the opposite of, of boredom is living out our vocations. But I don't know if we can get there yet. Maybe, maybe we'll get there. But it's starting to sound like vocation is an essential component in all of this that God has given us this good, that work is good. We work in the fulfilling of our vocations, those vocations being good gifts that God has given us. And the means by which he cares for our neighbor. We talk about it all the time that God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does, right? And so we are the ordinary means God uses to provide for our neighbors. So why does the old Adam and me find God's gifts dull? Well, I think it's because the old Adam and me is, is going to find anything that doesn't serve the old Adam and me. It's going to find anything that doesn't serve myself dull. And this is going back to, you mentioned the Ten Commandments before. In the first commandment, self-idolatry is the most prevalent common sin out there. And I think that finding God's gifts dull and therefore saying you're bored is just another manifestation of breaking the first commandment. That's a really good point that the old Adam is going to seek to reject anything good that God has given us. And so whether it's through 
boredom, which is is finding God's gifts dull, or whether it's through the destruction of those gifts. You know, there are different ways that our old Adam finds to reject the gifts that God has given us. But you're absolutely right that anything the old Adam finds unappealing and and ungratifying, because the old Adam always is wanting to gratify himself. The old Adam finds the ordinary not worth his time. But the ordinary is the way that God works. And so the old Adam rejects God's order and the way that God has given us good things. And one of the ways we reject that is through boredom. But I still think there's more there. The old Adam sees the ordinary as not worth his time. Well, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance from the Lord. So I was reading through the notes on this in the Lutheran Study Bible, and one of the notes for this word heartily I found relevant for this discussion. The note said that heartily could also be read as from the soul. And I think this is a really good example in scripture of where God warns us against the dangers of boredom. When you were young and your mom asked you to take out the garbage, your mind immediately went to, ugh, I don't want to take out the garbage. But, but God would have us rejoice at an opportunity to serve our mother, to serve our neighbor, because when we do this, we love and honor him. Our, our inner disdain at being asked to serve is certainly not working heartily or working from the soul, but rejecting where God has placed us to serve in our vocations. And certainly, the old Adam in us always wants to make a name for himself. You know, taking out the garbage is not a glorious task <laughs> for the old Adam. It's it's not worth his time. And, and he would rather do the least amount of work for the most amount of gratification. When we serve our neighbor, we are not serving for the accolades of man. We, we are serving because God told us to, and we are working as for the Lord, not for men. The very living out of our vocations is how God would have us serve him. The serving of one's neighbor is the serving of God. But like we just said, we have to remember that God doesn't need our works, but our neighbor does. And so to think of the ordinary as 
not worth our time is to say that the things that God has given us to do are not worth our time. And that's getting into kind of dangerous territory, I'm thinking, (laughs) (laughs) that that somehow we think that our own passions and desires and thirst for excitement or whatever the case may be is somehow better or more worthy than what God has given us to do. The old Adam in us always wants to make a name for himself and do the fun, cool, exciting things, whatever fun, cool, and exciting means. He would, he would rather use the power tools than clean up the sawdust, uh, for example. And this isn't to say that using power tools can't also be seen as boring. But my point is that to say something is boring is not confined to a certain level of excitement, but rather to our level of contentment. We can be discontent with both exciting or mundane things. Ultimately, when we reject the ordinary work that God has given us to do, regardless of whether that work is viewed by man or us as exciting, we are we are discontent with what God has given us to do. And along with that, perhaps, boredom could also have an element of thinking more highly of oneself. You know, going back to the power tools and sawdust example, that cleaning up sawdust is so below me. So I'm thinking more highly of myself than, than I ought. I'm being prideful. I'm being haughty. And I'm essentially saying that the neighbor that God has given me to serve is not worthy of serving. Well, I think that's a good point. And I think that that can go both ways. I'm, I'm too good to be a mother. I'm too good to feed kids and watch kids all day. There's that haughty, prideful side of it. And you can also get into the side of, well, I'm not good enough to be a mother. I'm, I can't be a mother. I'm not smart enough. I'm not energetic enough or whatever it is. And I think that the root of this is thinking that your vocations depend on your ability instead of God's given me the these vocations, God will provide the means to live out my vocations. Absolutely. That, that is a fantastic point that, that pride and despair are both a rejection of the vocations that God gives us. Either we think we're above them or we think we're below them. (laughs) And both are equally devastating to the good gift that God has given us in our vocations. Absolutely. And so this this idea that somehow our vocations are above us or below us, we're not satisfied with what God has given us on either end of the spectrum. And so 
we think of where we are in life because of our dissatisfaction as dull. Whether we're looking at our vocations from a prideful point of view or a despairing point of view, what happens when we reject our vocations? I think that the article you were quoting in the beginning has a good point. Quote, a society which takes love for no more than the carnal appetite cannot attach real significance even to the novel of adultery. A society which looks upon men as mere production and consumption units of interchangeable value cannot understand the subtle shadings of personality and rank of a different sort of age. The springs of the imagination thus are dried up. So if we're defining boredom as the old Adam pulling at us to despise which is good and beautiful and, and to reject our vocations, this quote makes a lot of sense because if we follow the things that our old Adam desires, we're going to follow all things evil and sinful. And if we're following all things evil and sinful, eventually we're not going to be able to recognize things that are good and holy. But the vocations that God has gifted us with are good. But the vocations that God has gifted us with are good. God has given us these vocations for our benefit, not to torture us. So like any sinful thoughts, I, I think we have to strive to shut down the thoughts of boredom, whether they come from, you know, despair or from pride. Uh, we have to shut down those thoughts that pop into our heads when we're called to serve our neighbor. So it sounds like, and I don't think, based on our discussion, I don't think that it's a bridge too far to say that we need to repent of boredom. Because I, I really think that where we've come is that boredom is a rejection in many and various ways. Whether we're coming at it from pride that our vocations aren't worthy of us <laughs> or despair that we're not worthy of our vocations, that boredom is the old Adam's attempt to blind us to the fact that our vocations are good and that they are gifts that God has given us because he loves us. At the beginning of the episode, the Russell Kirk quote gave us four themes, religion, heroism, love, and distinction. And those those four things are worked out and lived out in our vocations. And when we reject our vocations, then, to use Russell Kirk's quote, then boredom triumphs. So when boredom strikes, when we're discontent with where God has us, regardless of whether that place is 
deemed by us to be exciting or mundane. When boredom strikes, we repent and we ask God to help us work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord we receive our inheritance. Grace, thank you for considering boredom with me today. I look forward to future discussions. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on the Wittenberg Hour.